Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Uh, well, by the time you are listening to this, preseason camp has started for Nebraska football. Like, real practices are going to be unfolding at Memorial Stadium. By the time you listen to this, year one of Matt Rule uh, will be officially underway. So I, I started this little, like, journal or notebook, if you will, a.k.a. a Microsoft Word document, but it's cooler to sound like I got it like a diary out and wrote things down. But I just I wrote down kind of various things about the season that are interesting to me. I started it a few weeks back on a, on a flight back from Vegas. I couldn't sleep. Uh, so I just got my computer out and started writing, and I've kind of added it, uh, added to it, excuse me, over the last few weeks. And uh, with camp officially underway, I officially wanted to to put this together and get it out. I landed on 21 thoughts on Nebraska football heading in to 2023. So this is this is 20 pages. So so there's it's a lot. So sit back, relax and let's let's kind of dive into this thing. Here are my 21 thoughts and questions on Nebraska football in 2023 year 1 of Matt Rule. Here we go. The first thought I had was about the pass rush. To me this season is going to be a fascinating study of collective scheme versus individual player as it pertains to a pass rush. Because I think we'd all agree, unless maybe MJ Sherman can do it, I think we'd all agree that this team lacks individual pass rushing talent, right? Like like a Randy Gregory, a Jared Crick, an Indomitian Sue, a Grant Wistrom, the guys that can just line up beat their man, and wreak havoc on the quarterback. Guys that can line up don't need a exotic blitz package for them to just kick the, the ass of the dudes in front of them and sack the quarterback. This team doesn't really have that. So the fascinating thing to watch, in my opinion, will be, okay, well, knowing that there isn't a bunch of guys on this defense that you can just kind of say, all right, go sack the quarterback, go, get after him. It's third and seven. Go. Understanding that, can the 3-3-5 scheme create a pass rush? Like, how much can Tony White and the 3-3-5 manufacture a pass rush? Because that's what we hear about the 3-3-5. It's an aggressive defense. It wants to create negative plays. It, there's, there's a ton of movement up front, et cetera, et cetera. So I am really interested to see the question of scheme versus individual when it comes to a pass rush. It's really interesting to me. I liken it to in basketball. When you're maybe Kentucky or Duke over the last handful of years, you know, Coach K, Coach Calipari, 
they don't have to be overly creative and complex with a system or set plays to create shots and drives into the paint and get pressure on the rim. They got the personnel to do that. They got the individual talent to do that. But sometimes places like Princeton or Belmont or Northern Iowa, places that don't have the elite athletes and talent to create on their own, they rely on sets and a system to manufacture shots and scoring opportunities. I look at it a little like that this year with a pass rush and Nebraska. I don't see the individual Aiden Hutchinson, Chase Young, Randy Gregory type dudes on this Nebraska roster that just can go create a consistent pass rush without any help. I think Nebraska's personnel needs some help in kind of creating a pass rush. And I can't wait to see if the 3-3-5 and Tony White system with some movement and some exotic blitz packages can help manufacture a pass rush. So the impact of scheme versus the individual with getting after the quarterback is really interesting to me. Because I think that actually when you look at football nowadays, I think the ability to rush the quarterback, the ability to pressure the QB, sack the QB, has kind of become the one common thread that almost all great teams have at any level in football. They all have a pass rush. Anymore, quarterbacks are too good, offensive coordinators are too good, schemes are too good, skill talent's too good. If a quarterback has time, they're going to shred you. Nebraska hasn't had a pass rush for a long time. Can Tony White's 3-3-5 scheme help that? Next thought I had, sticking with the 3-3-5. I think on paper, in my, my amateur mind, the 3-3-5 makes sense in kind of defending the pass, right? I mean, you got more speed on the field. You got more defensive backs on the field. But I do wonder, on a broad, simplified, again, amateur way, how does it look stopping the run? When game number one comes, you know, August 31st, Thursday night in Minneapolis, when Minnesota lines up, who Barrett Rude pointed out, by the way, on my podcast, you should go listen to my two-hour conversation with Barrett Rude. It was awesome. When Minnesota lines up, and Barrett pointed out that Minnesota is by far the biggest offensive line size-wise in the Big Ten. When they line up with five 340-pound tanks and run it right at Nebraska, how does that 3-3-5 look? Same thing with Iowa, Michigan certainly, maybe Illinois to a lesser extent, who will look to run our, those teams will look to run it right at Nebraska. Can the 3-3-5 stand up when teams just line it up and try to pound the ball on the ground. It'll be interesting to watch. Now, to be to be fair, Wisconsin is is now an air raid team. They're no longer a you know two tight ends and run it in between the tackles kind of a team. They're they're a spread you out air raid team. Purdue is an air raid team. Maryland will air it out. Colorado is more finesse and wants to throw it. So there are fewer teams on this schedule and in the conference 
in the conference that are true old school Big Ten three yards in a cloud of dust type teams. Like there used to be more of those teams in in the past, but nevertheless, stopping the run in the three three five in the Big Ten will be will be something very very interesting to watch. N- next thought I had was. Managing Jeff Sims' health and running the ball. I think Sims' legs, his ability to run, I think that's going to be the thing with Nebraska's offense. The thing that is the most dangerous and the thing that teams are most worried about. And I think it's likely going to be the thing that is consistently producing more than anything else. So there's a lot to unpack with this. When when you have a running quarterback, and you're going to run him, right? I mean, he's athletic, and you are he is going to carry the football. What does that look like? How how much does he carry the ball? What do the runs look like? Can can they keep Jeff Sims healthy? And what's hard on the health front is, and I remember having this conversation at times with with Tommy Armstrong and even Taylor Martinez, you know, ten years ago on the radio or whatever. But what's hard on the health front is you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do to win games. You gotta call plays in a way that give you the best chance to move the ball, get first downs, and put points on the board, right? You gotta do what you gotta do and give yourself the best chance to win games. And if running Jeff Sims is what the game calls for, then I think you gotta do it. In my opinion, you can't have your prevailing thought if you're Marcus Satterfield or Matt Rule be, boys, we, we can't get Sims hurt. We cannot get Jeff Sims hurt. And then call plays accordingly with that. like, And then try to protect him at the expense of winning the game or doing what gives you the best chance to win the game. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying... You give Jeff Sims the ball 35 carries a game and to hell with his well-being and who cares if he gets knocked out of the game. You have to be somewhat smart about it, but smart goes both for rule and for Sims. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jeff Sims has to know when he maybe does need to stick his head down and try to get one or two more yards. 
Maybe it's a big third and three, and you got a shot at a big first down to get into field goal range in the third quarter in a tie game at Minnesota. Fuck, stick your head down, get those yards. Stick your nose in there, try to move the chains. But, you know, first and ten, you you run four to five yards, and you could maybe stick your head down. Here comes a safety coming, and you could you could maybe take him on, try to get two more yards. Eh, just you know, just get down, get out of bounds, avoid a big hit. So Sims has to be smart and protect himself. There's a time to you know put your big boy pants on and and run tough, and there's a time to get out of bounds or get out. And while I'm not advocating for a ridiculous amount of carries for Sims. I just have this feeling like Jeff Sims running the ball is going to be Nebraska's most effective offense. So you have to call plays in a way that gives you the best chance to win. You know what I mean? Like, and I, so I wonder how that'll all get balanced. And I also wonder what the, you know, the, the running package will look like, like Barrett pointed out on, on my pod, there's kind of a difference between running some RPOs versus running some quarterback lead isos and quarterback counters and all that. So I wonder I wonder what his running plays and what his rushing looks will really look like. Oh and by the way, I've heard from a handful of people that Sims is an absolute specimen of a person when you see him up close. Like he is huge. He's listed at 6'4" 220. But people say he he is impressive in person. And again, I always reference that quote in the ACC, that an ACC coach had who played against Sims and said, we couldn't tackle him. We couldn't tackle him. So I think he's going to be pretty tough running the ball. Last thing on this, the, the quarterback depth behind Sims is obviously a concern, right? Casey Thompson transferred out. So you got Heinrich Harburg, who's inexperienced, and Chubba Purdy, who really struggled last year. So the depth and what's behind Jeff Sims isn't necessarily great on paper. But at the same time, I was talking to a to, to this uh, to a buddy about this. We, we say that all the time, like, well, I tell you what, the quarterback depth. Like, okay, timeout. How many teams in college football – truly feel really good about their second and third string quarterbacks. First of all, you don't know, and neither do I. Let me ask you a question. You know Maryland's backup quarterback situation? No, you don't. Stop it. Like you don't you know uh you know Pitt's backup quarterback situation? Do you know Oregon State's backup you don't. But we all create this thing in our mind where it's like everybody, you know, a lot of these schools, they got two to three quarterbacks. Do they? Do they really? I mean, I don't know. But my guess is there's probably a pretty big drop-off between, you know, from QB1 to QB2 and QB3 across all of college football. So we we throw that stuff out there all the time. And I'm not saying it's it's not completely wrong, but I also think sometimes it can be a little misguided. Because we, we throw that out there like we know all these other teams have great situations. When you don't, and they you don't really know, and my guess is they probably don't. Hell, there are a lot of NFL, NFL backup quarter situation, quarterback situations that are bad. In the NFL, 
So, yeah, my guess is, like, the backup quarterback situation at, like, Vanderbilt probably isn't great. Sorry for the little tangent there. But I say all that, and I can also say, like, the thought of trying to keep Sims, you know, QB number one healthy, obviously isn't a crazy thought to have. In fact, most coaches have to consider that, and Rule and Satterfield are no different. But it'll be interesting to see how you kind of where do you draw the line between what gives you the best chance to win games, what's your best offense, with that kind of keeping your QB healthy. So Sims running on a variety of levels will be important and interesting to watch. Next thought, we've talked about this a ton. We don't got to relitigate a lot of it or go over it again. But close games. It's, it'll be fascinating to see how a new head coach, a new staff, impacts this. I talked to this about Bear, to, I talked about this with Barrett, and it's certainly been a theme over the last handful of years because, to me, the defining element of the Scott Frost era was close losses. Last five seasons, Nebraska 7-25 and in one-score games. 7-25. and Nebraska had 32 one-score games. In the last five seasons, and they only won seven of them. Like, that's unbelievable. So, the question is with a new head coach and a new voice and a new leader, can Nebraska flip the script in close games? My guess is Nebraska is going to be in seven, eight, nine close games this season. How Nebraska does in those one score games likely shapes the, the season. Because the reality is Nebraska doing poorly in those close games ended up sealing the fate for Scott Frost. And so I wonder what a veteran head coach who's extremely detail-oriented, like Rule is, I wonder what kind of impact he can have on it. And there's also an element of a blank slate for all that as well. I think the demons of doubt officially were prevalent in that program in in close games as the years mounted and those those losses mounted. I think there definitely was some scar tissue for everyone when the fourth quarter came. And a brand new staff with a handful of new players, maybe that helps with the mental aspect of this too. Next thought. Who emerges at that running back spot, and what does it look like? Gabe Irvin seems to have the job now. My guess is he lines up that game number one. My guess is he's trots out there at running back in the first series. Anthony Grant looked the best last year, and Ramir Johnson. I mean, I call he's the Michael Myers of the running back. He just like the running back room. He just he no matter what the dude like factors in. So he's still he's still around. And he's still lurking. Who takes the job? Who keeps it? Or is it going to be by committee? Is there a bona fide stud in there? Can can someone even emerge? I won't even I'm not even going to talk about a mere or Rex level of superstar. Can Nebraska find someone to be like a Divina Zigbo level type of guy? A Zigbo rush for a thousand yards. Can Nebraska find someone get to a, that can get to a thousand? It looked like Grant was trending that direction, but ended up falling short kind of didn't finish the season very strong at all. And now Gabe Irvin's kind of leaped him, or at least on paper in the spring he did. So what happens at that spot? 
It's it's been obviously since Amir, where you had a true difference maker at that position. Now, to be fair, sometimes a running back is only as good as the offensive line blocking for him. So maybe a good chunk of all of this lies and rests on the on that offensive line. But still, what happens at that running back spot? Something to watch. Speaking of that offensive line, next thought I had. It's going to be a fascinating situation to observe. It's largely the same players. It's the same position coach in Donovan Raiola. Can largely the same cast of characters led by the same coach produce a different level of play? Can, you know, does simply changing the offensive coordinator and changing the head coach and keeping a little bit of continuity with the O-line and the coach and all that stuff lead to a different end result? I don't know. Now, I say largely the same cast of characters and the same players. There are going to be a few new guys that are going to be out there trotting when starting, hopefully, for most of the year, right? Ben Scott, Arizona State transfer at that center spot. You know, he'll be out there. Teddy, Teddy Prohaska, Teddy Peno ass down. Healthy, should, should help. Uh, Nuili back off the year suspension. He was going to start and didn't – obviously, he was suspended last year. You would assume that helps. So, there's a – there are different variables in the entire equation, but the lion's share of the personnel is similar and the position coach is the exact same. And that was a putrid offensive line performance last year. They were awful. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't protect the quarterback. They were really bad. So what happens with that offensive line this year? How they perform likely will tell the tale of the season in a lot of ways. Something to watch, no doubt about it. Next thought. Does Nebraska have a big play weapon on offense? Running back or wide receiver? No Trey Palmer, who is just an electric big play guy. Who is capable on this roster of making the big play? Anthony Grant showed flashes early, but then fell off a bit. Xavier Betts has shown moments where he could be that guy, but he hasn't played Football in a real game since 2021, left the team last year. Maybe Billy Kemp is that guy, strikes me more as a possession type of dude. Maybe Jeff Sims can make some big plays, both with his legs and arm. Or maybe Gabe Irvin can do it, but he just hasn't had the opportunity to to show what he can do. I don't know. But what I do know is, I still don't think Nebraska is good enough in year one of a new regime and good enough in the trenches to sustain those 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives and consistently score and move the ball. I, I just don't I don't I don't see that yet. So I say that, say I think they do need big chunk plays, big scoring play guys. And the reality is good teams, they usually have players like that. They usually have players that don't just move the sticks and get a first down, they change the scoreboard when they have a chance. Amir Abdullah, Taylor Martinez, Trey Palmer. I always thought Eric Crouch was like the best at this. Like if those guys, Crouch, when he got to the second level and there was a sliver, dude hit a home run quite a bit. Same thing with Taylor Martinez, right? Like if he had a seam and could hit it, it was like a missile run. Trey Palmer, when he got one-on-one coverage and could, like, really let it rip, he ran past dudes. So, 
but those kinds of players, those, those guys scored touchdowns when they got a chance to. Like, they turned 12-yard runs or 12-yard gains into 53-yard touchdowns. So, for as much as we talk about close games, this, that, like, sometimes that's the difference in close games, too. Who's going to be that firecracker, dynamic, electric playmaker on this roster? To me, that's a big question. Maybe Xavier Betts, if he's in a good place mentally. Grant potentially showed it. We'll see, but I think it's important. Next thought. Offensive identity. Like, what does this offense actually end up really looking like? We've heard a lot, but what is it? What does it actually end up looking like? Run pass splits. What What are the pet plays? Do they try to control the clock? Will they actually huddle up? Will they actually run fullback dives? What does it end up looking like? And what's hard is it appears like this offense won't be the the offense that Marcus Satterfield coordinated last year at South Carolina. So we don't necessarily have anything to go off of, like. We, we did with what we do with Tony White or we had with Mark Whipple a year ago. And so it's hard. Marcus Satterfield, he's talked about running the quarterback. He's talked about getting under center. He's talked about also you know operating out of the shotgun. He's talked about the huddle, huddling up. He's talked about being physical. He's talked about utilizing tight ends, utilizing a fullback. But he also wants to push the ball down the field. Like, that's a lot. It's like the golden corral of offenses. Like, going to have steak, going to have seafood, going to have pizza, going to have pie, going to have pasta. It's a lot. It's going to run the quarterback, going to have fullback, going to take deep shots, going to huddle up, going to control the clock. We're going to be. Well, what's all it going to look like? When the dust really settles, what does this offense really look like and what will their identity be? Because. You know, even from a big picture standpoint, when you contrast Jeff Sims' skill set versus Daniel Kalen's skill set, the Bellevue West quarterback commit, they're different. Sims is a dual threat spread quarterback. Kalen is more of a pro style pocket passing quarterback. So even in the first two quarterbacks they've signed, they kind of indicate different offensive directions and different offensive looks. But focusing on this year, 2023 season, I can't wait to see what the offense actually ends up looking like. Are they gonna will they truly huddle up and control the clock? Are they really gonna do that? They're gonna huddle up, break the huddle with 13 on the play clock and, and snap it with three seconds. Are they gonna do that? How much quarterback run game will we see? Smash mouth physical football will we see? Are they really gonna run the fullback? Can't wait to see how it unfolds. Next thing, special teams. So, you know, it's easy to forget that one of the biggest talking points of the offseason heading into last year was special teams. And it's easy to forget how not just bad, but truly cataclysmic Special teams were for the five years under Scott Frost. Truly horrific. I don't feel like it's hyperbole to throw words like cataclysmic and horrific out there when describing the special teams. 
Now, to be fair, I will say special teams took a little bit of a step forward last year with Bill Bush. But again, keep in mind, they were a travesty before that. So what do special teams look like now? Rule does have a dedicated special teams coach in Ed Foley, who's one of the older, more experienced coaches in the staff. He's just, I love his personality. What can he do with that unit? I mean, Nebraska only returned five total punts last year. Five. Hopefully, Billy Kemp will help there. He had 369 punt return yards at Virginia. I mean, that'll, I wonder, are 369 punt return yards for one guy, is that more than the entire Frost era? I bet it is. But just over the last five years, it seemed like Nebraska's field goal kicking has been spotty. Punting has been shaky. Almost every week they've, they've lost that field position battle. I am excited to see what a new staff can do in this department. Because I've said, you know, one of the things that stood out when Bo Rude and I did those Husker Classic recap pods where we'd watch a classic Husker game and then record a pod about it, one of the things that stood out about the 90s and those teams was just how lights out good Nebraska was in special teams. Like, dominant in that department. It matters. So I'm excited to watch that this year. Next thing I wrote down. I wonder how the fans are going to react to adversity with this team. At some point, some adversity is going to hit. Nebraska, hate to burst everybody's bubble, they're not going to go, you know, 13-0 and and win the Big Ten. Okay, like that's not going to happen. At some point, some adversity is going to hit. Nebraska is either going to play terrible, they're going to get beat pretty bad, maybe they lose a game they shouldn't have, et cetera, et cetera. It happens basically every year, and expecting otherwise in year one for Matt Rule is probably silly. So at some point, Nebraska is going to have a bad weekend. How do the fans react to it? Will they preach patience? Will they freak out? I wonder how they're going to handle it. Because again, it's easy to preach patience in the offseason when no real games have happened. It's a different story when it's the fall and the games are unfolding. I said this at the outset of when Rule was hired, back in you know December, January, in that area. I, I said at the outset when Rule was hired that I actually think the fans aren't going to be overly patient with Rule. Mainly, that's not as much about Rule as it is I feel like this fan, va- fan base kind of wasted every ounce of patience they had on Scott Frost. And when you combine that with the reality that it's been a 20-year waiting period on consistent good football, I think this fan base's level of patience in their patience tank, if you will, like if you picture it like it's a gas gauge on your car, I think it's kind of low. I think it's lower than what a lot of people want to admit. I've, I've kind of felt like, I don't know how patient people are going to be with Rule. But I also think now that I've gotten to experience Matt Rule, I think he's done a good job of trying to earn some equity and some patience with what he's done and how he's carried himself and what he's said. So maybe the fans will be more patient than I think. But again, it's easy to say that in the offseason when no games are happening. The second Nebraska gets beat, 
plays bad, gets blown out, you know how it can be with the fan reaction. You know how it can be. Mike Riley, remember the, losing to Illinois in year one? Remember that? When they needed to just run the ball and they had Tommy Armstrong do the play action and he threw it and stopped the clock and it was like, like four or five games into the season, people were calling for his head. Bill Callahan, people freaked out in 04. Even Frost had moments early on where some people freaked out with the 0-6 start. I am really interested in seeing how the fans react to any adversity this year. And not to make excuses for the fans, but man, it's been a rough last couple of years and a rough last couple of decades. It's been loss after loss, embarrassment after embarrassment, gut punch after gut punch, new coach after new coach. That takes a toll on you. And I've talked about the psychological toll as well with Frost. Everyone, and I mean everyone, thought Frost was the answer. There was no doubt Frost was the savior and the guy that was going to bring Nebraska football back. And it didn't work. And when you truly believe something to be true, you you genuinely believe that this is this is the truth. This is the answer. And it turns out that it's not. That takes a toll on you. So there, there are some fresh wounds psychologically that I think haven't fully healed yet either. So I'll be interested to see how the fans react to adversity this year. Now, I will say this. I do think Matt Rule is cut out and uniquely built to calm things and handle a loss or struggles publicly extremely well. He's a cool, calm customer. He's been through the ringer in the NFL. He's an incredible communicator. He's just got a way about him that strikes me as someone who can handle the turbulence very well from a leadership perspective. I just kind of think about, okay, try and imagine that first tough loss when he goes to the podium. I kind of feel like he's going to handle it well. He's going he's gonna to act and say all the right things and, and conduct himself how you would want your leader to conduct themselves. So that helps. He won't be like Scott Frost and blame other people. He won't be like Mike Riley and act like he doesn't really care. He won't be like Bo and walk up there and lash out with anger and act immature. I think Rule's going to handle it well, which will help. But nevertheless, adversity is going to hit. Turbulence on the season will inevitably occur. There's going to be a loss. There's going to be a blowout, something. How will the fans react? Next thing I wrote down, next thought I had, is kind of along these lines. You know, Matt Rule, I wonder how it will be for him navigating his maiden voyage dealing with the constant attention and sometimes constant drama that can be Nebraska football in the fall. I'm I'm curious 
I'm interested to see how Rule can steer the ship throughout the season of navigating the first season, dealing with the constant attention and constant drama that can be Husker football. It's unique here, man. It is. Nebraska football is everything. Nebraska football is the earth, moon, and stars here. It's the identity of the entire state. Let's be honest. Baylor, Temple, not even close to Nebraska in terms of fan passion and local media attention. Not even close. And NFL attention, I'd have to imagine, is different to a certain degree. Not saying one is necessarily harder or easier to deal with, but they're just different. Maybe I'm wrong, but do like for a Carolina Panthers home game, like if they lose a game, do they have Carolina Panthers overreaction where it's full phone lines for five hours of people coming unhinged and losing their minds? Like, I I don't know. I, I doubt it. So I'm curious how Rule handles being the Nebraska football head coach during the season. And again, I think we all know what that entails. This place can be kind of crazy, both good and bad. I do like that I think Matt Rule is, again, I think he's built for this, and I think he's aware of kind of like how the, the enormity of Nebraska football. I think he gets it. Like at Media Days, he even mentioned how public everything they do is and how much it gets consumed and how he's got to be very, very conscious of that. Like every decision, everything he does, everything he says is going to get dissected. It's going to get slid under a microscope. So navigating that is a challenge. So again, like I said a little bit ago, I do think he's qualified and equipped to handle it really well, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Next thought, circling back to Jeff Sims. Just how good will Jeff Sims be? I mean, there's nothing more exciting than a new quarterback. It's it's always kind of fun and kind of fascinating to watch a new quarterback. From, you know, Casey Thompson to Adrian Martinez to Luke McCaffrey to Tanner Lee, you know, to Tommy Armstrong to Taylor Martinez to Zach Lee and on and on and on. It's the most interesting position in sports, so it's naturally the most, is is fascinating to watch. And you know what I, how I would describe it? Like, I'm going into the Jeff Sims experience and the Jeff Sims era with a completely open mind. I'm... I, I have no real preconceived notions or preconceived expectation levels. Well, I, I, I don't know. I guess that's not totally true. I guess I just have an, a, a really, really open mind with him. I think he's going to be pretty athletic and a pretty effective runner. And I think he needs a little work with his accuracy throwing the football. He was not very accurate at Georgia Tech. You know, there are different numbers where he is like a Spencer Petrus level type of quarterback with how he'd throw the ball, which is not good. But I like his mechanics. He appears to have a solid, compact throwing motion, so there's something to work with. But I just have an open mind. He could be a baller, like a really, really good quarterback, and it wouldn't shock me. Matt Rule has said that he thinks he's potentially an NFL guy. Again, he's got the measurables, 6'4", 220, big, fast. He looks like a player. But at the same time, 
if he struggles, that wouldn't shock me either. I I just I have an open mind with him. The spectrum in my mind of what Jeff Sims could be is about as wide as it has ever been for me with any quarterback. I can remember heading into it. Like I I'll be honest, like I think there's a world where he goes out there and he is struggling. I think that could happen. Would it stun me if he is he he struggles and goes and goes through some and takes some lumps? No, not at all. Because if you're not accurate, quarterbacking can be hard, and he's struggled with that. But I also think like there could, could there be a world where Jeff Sims is like putting on a show? Yeah, I think that could happen too. So it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like and how he plays this season. Got a new quarterback to assess for Nebraska football. Very exciting. Next thought. I wonder how Matt Rule's sideline demeanor and actions will, will be. Like, will he be emotional? Will he chew guys out? Will he be stoic? How, how involved will he be? Is he going to be dead in the middle of the huddle talking to guys? Is he going to be more off to the side? I'm always interested in that. Sometimes we... we I don't know, maybe pay too much attention to that stuff. But it's interesting. I'm curious to see, you know, we know how he carries himself in the media and the press conferences. Or, you know, you see him out and about in the community, all that stuff. But what when games are happening, it's the, you know, it's the third quarter. It's, it's 17-13. It's a big third down. Like, I, I'm just a, what's rule like? Right? Like, Tom Osborne, Mr. Stoic, Mr. Calm, Bo Pelini, like a volcano over there. What'll it be like? Nick Saban's losing his mind. I'll be interested to see what that looks like. Next thought. Which newcomer will hit? Not going to bat a thousand with transfer portal guys. You know, you think about it, last year Nebraska had Anthony Grant, Casey Thompson, Trey Palmer, O'Shawn Mathis, Stephon Wynn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a couple of those guys were hits and some were misses. Who will hit this year? You got Jeff Sims, you got Billy Kemp, you got MJ Sherman, Ben Scott. Could be, you know, could he be a, a player at, on that offensive line? Who will it be? I ask you, if you had to guess, who who will be the newcomer of the year for Nebraska, if you had to guess? I'd say the easy pick would be Sims, and to be honest, we all better be saying that at the end of the year if we think Nebraska could have an okay season. So, you know, part of you wants to say him. I think Billy Kemp will have a good year. He feels like a safe selection to me. But to me, th- that would be 1A, 1B, Sims or Kemp. You, you Honestly, what you'd like for it to be is like MJ Sherman. You wouldn't be at the end of the year talking about like, damn, MJ Sherman, dude had a bunch of sacks. He was wreaking havoc. He was all over the place. But which newcomer will hit? Next thought. How good can the secondary be? They return a bunch of guys, a lot of experience. Thought that group had an interesting year last year. Thought they really struggled early, especially in the tackling department. But then they finished the season fairly strong on a better trajectory. But a lot of guys, Quentin Newsom, 
Malcolm Hartzog, Miles Farmer, Marcus Buford, even Isaac Gifford. These guys played a lot of football last year. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think if you polled Husker Nation and asked them which position group they think is the strongest, I think secondary would probably win that vote. And what's hard is, you know, year older doesn't always mean a year better. And I'm not sure if I see an NFL dude in that group. But again, I thought they finished the year heading in the right direction. How good can they be, especially in the 3-3-5, if you, get a, if you can get a lot of them on the field? Next thought. How will former players, former Huskers, handle and be with the new coach in the new era? How are they going to – How are? what's their reactions going to be? Like right or wrong, former Huskers, former players do carry a lot of weight and can kind of shape the climate a bit around the program. And there are a lot of former players in the media locally. Damon Binning's got, I think he's got the biggest voice. But, you know, Jay Moore, Jay Foreman. I mean, almost all of 93.7, the ticket is made up of former players. Dudes like Adam Carricker cover the team. Matt Burzall's got a strong voice. Tommy Frazier always carries a lot of weight with what he says. Of course, Bo Rood is on all the time with me. And there, and I could go on and on. There are a ton of former players covering the program. They can set the temperature around here. Will they preach patience? Will they be quick to criticize? It'll be interesting to see how those guys react to a new staff, a new head coach, and a new era of Nebraska football. Next thought. How talented is this roster? For as much as coaching matters, and it definitely does, talent matters too. There's typically a non-negotiable level of talent that needs to be on a roster to win at a high level. And over the years, as the losing seasons have mounted and the missing bowl games have occurred, something else has unfolded. NFL draft picks from Nebraska have plummeted. Nebraska being represented on all conference teams at the end of seasons have dwindled. Not too hard to dots connect there. Talent. And I wonder about that with this roster. I just don't know how talented this team is. And to further that point, an interesting good Twitter follower is, is at Stumanji who he tweets out, you know, he does a lot of research with numbers and stats and different things on Nebraska football, and he pointed this out. So pro football focus, one of the, one of the better football media outlets, pro football focus puts out their selections for preseason all-conference teams across college football, SEC, Big 12, and, of course, Big 10. Nebraska was the only school in the Big Ten that didn't have a single player on pro football focuses preseason Big Ten first, second, or third 
all conference teams. Not one Husker on any of the teams. Nebraska was the only school in the conference to not have one. Northwestern had two. Rutgers had one. Purdue had one. Maryland and Indiana had two. Nebraska, zero. Now, is pro football focus, you know, complete gospel? I don't know. What does all this mean? I don't know, to a certain degree. But pro football focus, they typically are pretty accurate. And again, they're one of the more respected outlets in the football media world. But the point remains. That, from a talent perspective, that's alarming. And it's sobering when it comes to the overall talent on this roster right now. Now, again, maybe guys will emerge and step up and blossom into true studs. That's possible. But on paper right now, on paper, this isn't an overly talented team. Maybe the talent is there and the coaching, the new coaching, can get it out of them and the scheme can maximize their abilities, that's certainly possible. For example, Sue wasn't Sue until Bo Pelini got to Nebraska. Now, that's an extreme example, and I'm certainly not suggesting that there's an Indomitian Sue on this roster right now, but you get the spirit of the point that I'm making. Maybe this staff takes this roster, finds some returning players on it, and gets them to explode. But on paper, pro football focus doesn't see a lot of talent. Just food for thought. Next thought I had. What's what's that unexpected game? What will it be? You look at the roster, or excuse me, you look at the schedule, and you know, you rarely have a season end, and you say, well, that went just about how it would go on paper. They beat who they were probably supposed to and lost to who they were supposed to. Every game unfolded exactly how you anticipated it to. No, that's the beauty of sports. That's why we love sports. They're unpredictable. There's almost always a game, a game outcome, sometimes a few games, that go completely different than you expected them to go. Which games will that be or which game will it be? Does Nebraska, like, upset Michigan but lose to Northern Illinois? Does Nebraska beat Iowa and Wisconsin but lose to Northwestern and Colorado? Does Nebraska beat Maryland 52-3 to but beats Louisiana Tech 13-10? to There's going to be some game this year that is like, wow, what the, f- I didn't see that coming. Yeah, Frost losing to Troy in year one. Northern Illinois in 2017 with Riley. Georgia Southern last year. How many people thought Georgia Southern was going to come in and, and put up 600 yards of offense? Or even to the good, Iowa last year or Michigan State in 2015. Whatever. Every year... The season just rarely goes exactly how you think it would go. It's like, well, because because right now, you you know, you go through it, and it's easy to be like, well, I think they'll lose to Michigan. I think they'll lose to Wisconsin. I think they'll probably lose to, you know, and oh, I think they'll beat Northern Illinois, and I think they'll beat Louisiana Tech. And I, 
Yeah, like it rarely it rarely goes as you think it will on paper. What is it going to look like? What's that unexpected game? Next thought. Turnovers. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. The reality is turnover margin and your ability to be good in this department typically shapes a ton with your season's fate. Dirk spelled it out a couple years ago in just how crazy Nebraska has been in the turnover department to the bad. Nebraska's seemingly had a negative turnover margin at the end of every season for like forever. And if you remember, fumbles were a major issue in this spring game just a couple of months ago. I think they had like seven or eight fumbles, if my memory is right. Sam McEwen has pointed out numerous times on the radio or on his podcast where, listen, he always says when you run the quarterback, you're likely prone to fumbles, which I'm not sure I totally buy into that, but I get it. And Nebraska is likely going to run the quarterback. Turnover margin, turnovers loom large for every team and will likely loom large again for Nebraska. Like Barrett Rude said on my pod when I asked him about the close losses over the last five years, coming up short in those one-score losses, he always says, for me, listen, when you, after a close loss, the first thing I look at at the end of the game is the football. Did we turn, did we turn the ball over? Did we force any turnovers? He's typically right. It's a great indicator for who wins the game. The turnover battle. The good thing is that statistically speaking, Tony White's defense has been pretty good at forcing turnovers. The 3-3-5 is an aggressive defense. It's on its toes. It's not really a defense that is sitting back and reacting. It's, it's attacking. So maybe Nebraska's defense forces a bunch of turnovers this year. We'll see. But turnovers, like always, going to be really important and really interesting to watch. Next thought. This is maybe where I was like, I wrote this one late at night, so forgive me. Can Nebraska get to a bowl game, and if they do, will it feel anticlimactic? Let me try to expand on this. We love to throw the bowl game drought thing out there as a bar that hasn't been reached, like it's a really big deal. Like, can you believe that, that, No bowl games, six straight years, right? I know. We throw that out there. And while that's not wrong to do, and it's interesting, I mean, again, I, I throw it out there. Well, while that's, you know, that's not wrong, let me ask you, is there a big difference between a 5-7 and seven team and a 6-6 six and six team? I don't know. I suppose just like anything, the answer to that question is like, well, how, how did the season look? How, how the games unfolded, the season unfolded, how the team looked probably matters in that conversation. Now, of course, when you expand that, like, of course, there is there a, there's a difference between a five and seven team and an eight and four team, or even to a lesser degree, a seven and five team. But the point with this is, let's say Nebraska goes six and six, which is what most people predict. It's what Las Vegas over under win total was set for for Nebraska. Let's say Nebraska goes six and six and makes a bowl game. I do wonder how that'll feel 
for Husker fans, media, people covering the team? Will it feel anticlimactic? Will it feel like Nebraska actually accomplished something? Like if Nebraska goes 6 and 6 and loses in the pinstripe bowl on around Christmas to NC State and finishes the year 6 and 7 instead of 5 and 7 and did like how will that feel? Cuz I just think it's interesting to think about these narratives and these lines we throw out there with Nebraska football conversations of you know haven't been to a bowl game in 6 years. This team just needs to get to a bowl game. What does progress look like? I'll tell you, it's making a bowl game. That's what progress looks like. We throw those things out there. So I'll just be interested in how it actually feels if Nebraska does go 6-6 six and six and makes a bowl game. Like when Nebraska gets their sixth win, maybe they get their sixth win, like, you know, they beat Iowa at the end of the year to get to 6-6. Six and six. Like... Will we all genuinely feel good about that bar that has been reached? Like, ah, finally, six wins. And then when Nebraska's kicking off in the, you know, the the weed eater bowl, will we genuinely, sincerely feel like this is great? This is that this is great to see this progress playing in this game. Just a sleep deprived deep thought I had. Now I do I probably think fans and media will feel good about it if Nebraska makes a bowl. I really do. But I just I wonder how it will feel when that moment comes. Sometimes you think you know how you feel when you when you get involved, you know, uh, something occurs, but sometimes you're like, well, this is I thought I would feel like this and I don't. The other thing with this is there are still a lot of people. There's still a lot of people that look at Nebraska football and see the 1970s, the 80s, and the 90s. And the idea of just making a bowl game being something that we all feel good about is crazy to them. Those people are out there for sure. Maybe you are unapologetically one of those people. Or maybe you are one of those people and you don't even know it yet. And the only way to find out is that is if for Nebraska goes six and six and makes a bowl game, and all of a sudden you're like, well, like all of a sudden you're you're seeing your reaction to it. It'll be interesting to see how the reaction will be if it happens. And even though this is year one of a rebuild, and the you know the schedule is manageable. I think Nebraska can and likely will get to six wins. It'll be fascinating to take self-inventory if slash win that moment happens. All right, last thought. Apparently, I'm ending on some deep stuff here. Last thought. Regardless of the final number of wins or final number of losses. I wonder, can we all finally feel good about the direction of Nebraska football at the conclusion of this year? Right or wrong, when I reflect 
on the last 15, 20 years of Nebraska football, I think I can count on one hand, and I probably don't even need to use all my fingers. I think I can count on one hand the amount of times a season came and went where I truly felt good about the direction of Nebraska football at the conclusion of the season. 2009, for sure. If we're being really, really particular about it and holding that standard high of like, when's the last time over the last 20 years, how many times did you truly, like the season ended and you felt good about the direction of Nebraska football? 2009, for sure. Best defense in the country. Indomitian Sue was amazing. Bo Pelini, his, his approval rating was as high as it's been. Nebraska hammered Arizona in the bowl game, 33-0. Remember, they, that was the Texas Big 12 championship game, one second game where it felt like Nebraska got screwed. There was real optimism. It was like if, this, if, if they just get like a halfway, defense, halfway decent offense, this team is going to explode. That was without question the best I felt about Nebraska football's direction over the last 20 years. So there's one time. And then I honestly could only muster up like a couple other times. It's hard to fully remember, but maybe like 2005, 2006 in that area, like 2005, Nebraska went eight and four. They fit, they were finished the season ranked in the top 25. They beat Michigan in the Alabama bowl. And it felt like they found a real quarterback in Zach Taylor. 2006, I don't know. They, they, was, they won nine games. They had just played in the Big 12 championship. Recruiting was going well. Felt okay about it. Maybe the end of 2018, year one for Frost. They finished the season four and two in their last six games. You had the golden boy, Scott Frost. You were going to have a preseason Heisman contender in, in Adrian Martinez at quarterback. There was a good feeling heading into year two for Scott Frost at the end of 2018. What's hard is, even though there were some 10, 9, 10 win seasons for Pelini, it just there were always, there was always drama. You could maybe throw 2008 when Nebraska beat Clemson in the Gator Bowl. You could throw that in there. You could throw 08 in there if you wanted to. I mean, what's hard is like 2010, Nebraska limped to the finish line. Remember, lost to Washington in the bowl game. Played horrible. They blew the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma. 2012, they got beat 70-10 to in the Big Ten title game to Wisconsin. And then 2014, by the time those seasons were unfolding, it was the hot seat conversation was the topic. So it was hard to feel great about anything because the head coach's future was in jeopardy. And then certainly when you get into the frost years, it was like, I mean, it's hard to really feel great about things. So my point is, I'm probably being generous to include maybe 05, 06, and 2008, and 2018 as years where at the conclusion of the season, I felt really good about the direction of Husker football. The only unanimous, no doubt year that concluded, and I'd say 95% of Nebraska football fans felt great about the direction of Nebraska football was 2009. So stop and think about that. 20 years. Only for sure one, maybe you could get generous and find three or four years ended where you were like, I feel 
good about where this thing is headed. I feel good. Because even like Riley year two, you know, they won nine games, but they finished the season on a thud. Remember, they got beat, what was it, 62-3 to at Ohio State. They got hammered by Iowa, and they got embarrassed by Tennessee. So, I would love to see that change. I'd love to add 2023, year one of Matt Rule. I'd love to say at the end of this season, again, not like... I'd love to say at the end of the season, man, I feel really good about the direction of Nebraska football right now. I feel really good about it. And that doesn't have to entail a 9 or 10 or 11 win season. I think most people know good football when they see it. So to me, it's not as much about having to win the division or win 9 or 10 or 11 games as it is just that feeling in your gut, in your football soul, of this is a well-coached team. I I can see where this is going, and I like where it's headed. I wonder if we'll all feel like that at the end of this year. I can't wait to find out. A Herd at Sports Network production.